we've talked about the renewable side of the equation, but I think the only way that we get to net zero is if we look at the transport side and the heating side. Um, and in truth, net zero doesn't happen without industrial decarbonization. So we have to make, uh, make inroads in that. But I think it's, it's a challenge, as we've heard, but it's also a massive business opportunity. I think that everybody here in the room is here for, for also that, that very reason. Um, maybe, Alexander, I'll start with you at the end. Um, industrial decarbonization, what comes to mind in your mind when you hear that? And, and where does Uniper fit in uh, that mix? It's a good question, Ralph. And I still tend to think about industrial decarbonization in two big buckets, industry as industry, like chemicals, etc. But we should not forget about the power sector. And overall in Germany, I do believe we have massive opportunities. Um, It's the fourth largest economy in the world, 4.3 trillion dollars GDP, and yet more than 650 million tons of emissions per year. So we at Uniper stand ready to contribute and take action on decarbonization of both our customers, i.e. the industry, my first bucket, but we also take very rigorous action on decarbonizing power industry when we shut down coal-fired power plants and ensure transition of our power generation portfolio. So all in all, putting our company into the context of this massive economy, what fascinates me is that the scale and the depth of decarbonization in Germany is absolutely enormous. So um, what first comes to my mind is actually um, a project that we started in Sweden. And I think it's still a, a kind of a blueprint of how things can work. Because there we work together with um, steel company, LKB and SSAB, um, with a vision of um, producing CO2-free steel. And I, it starts with we were not allowed at some point to call it CO2-free steel because then you need to be... CO2-free in all different steps, but it was really the vision of how can we do that together. And um, Sweden, of course, has um, the prerequisites in the first place of a very um, yeah, carbon-free electricity system to start with and relatively low electricity prices as well, so that, that helps. Um, and it started as a really small, okay, let's, let's see if it works. And um, what happened then over time is that... Um, there was actually quite some large interest. As soon as there was the little piece of CO2-free steel produced, um, there were already demands on, yeah, we want to have that CO2-free steel um, in different equipments. Um, maybe, Piana, uh, GTEC industrial decarbonization is very core to what you do, but maybe you can just outline what comes to mind with that question, industrial decarbonization, and where you fit in. So I think the, the first level is just the is a systemic view, uh, having been in the electricity sector and now in the industry. Uh, the second level will be in more the operational view. So let me start with the, the systemic view. I think it is a very complex challenge, right? The reality is specifically day-to-day industrial reality is not as easy as just switching one fuel to another or switching one equipment to another. Or There's a lot of implications in there and this requires collaboration. So the first thing which comes to mind is it's not one single company, it's a bunch of companies, it's a sector, maybe it's a country, maybe it's even a region to collaborate on this. The second uh, perspective is about the, uh, the way we balance industrial politics 
and the demand for producing industrial goods here in, in Germany or in Switzerland or in Europe um, versus the decarbonization. Because the reality, it's a constant trade-off we need to do. There are some industries which most probably will suffer from decarbonization due to cost increases. What's the answer to that? I don't think we do have it at the moment. And the third uh, systemic view, it's technology-driven. And one of my favorite stories is when I was uh, CEO of a transmission system, uh, my, my fellow electrical engineers, that's about 15, 15 years ago, said, oh, electric cars will never happen, right? Now, it's only because some forces started to come that it starts to happen. Same for wind. Uh, so I think we need to drive technology. Maybe, Katrin, if I can start with you, um, as you think about decarbonization on the electricity side, is it one of just, let's just do the same thing that we've been doing all along and it's all, we're on the path, we just need to find the money. But as long as we have that, it, you know, we're, we're going to decarbonize the electricity side of industrial demand and without too many hiccups. Yeah, of course, we're talking here about Germany, not about Sweden. Sweden is almost there. Um, Germany, I think, is uh, plainly a lot more difficult um, because there is not the hydro resources that you have in Sweden. And um, yeah, nuclear um, is shut down, which again is the other big part in Sweden. So I, I, I absolutely see that it's getting more and more difficult, um, not necessarily because... Um, the technology is not there. I think we see um, at the moment, um, especially PV, getting again cheaper and cheaper. Um, but it's really the question, how will the whole system um, hold together and who's responsible to hold, for holding that system together? Um, and I think we need a lot more thought processes into um, how does that market design look like? I think that was mentioned before, there need to be different incentives and a lot of brain power put into what is then the most, um, in which direction should we try for the most um, efficient solution? Because what I think what we also don't want to go to is a totally central planning. Um, but then the balance is yeah difficult to get between the having the right incentives in place and having um, still, um, yeah, uh, yeah, recognizing where to put those incentives. And I think the one part that we are really not good in Germany is um, being able to connect politics, politician, um, yeah, decision makers in politics with industry. There's such an inherent mistrust that I don't see in other countries. In, in the Swedish system, um, there's a round table, then there's a discussion. And of course, there are different interests, but they kind of come together. And at the moment in Germany, I have the feeling there's not really a lot of, there's not a roundtable thinking. There's not a consultation on how does that whole system fit together. But it's all little pieces put together and then maybe a bit of um, incentive in one direction and if in doubt in another incentive in a different direction. I think it's really time to, yeah, to have a more um, conclusive um, solution in mind on where are we heading to make um, things happen in a good way. One of the things we discussed uh, previously is not just, you know, we need green electricity, but we need electricity all the time and security of supply. Can you talk a bit about when you're speaking to industrial companies about also the certainty of actually having power at all times at a reasonable price? Yeah, absolutely. And excellent that you pick up on this, Ralph. Um, indeed, this difficult middle bit 
is going to be the next opportunity, I firmly believe, because as we heard earlier today, very significant amount of dispatchable capacity being nuclear, coal, lignite will leave the system in Germany in the next years, and that's pretty much given. Um, in the case of nuclear, it is given. While more and more renewables come into system, and that requires and drives demand for clean dispatchable capacity. Now, what is challenging is that there is currently no regulation in place which incentivizes investments into clean dispatchable capacity. And what I observe is that in our industry and power um, plant operators, no one is ready to invest on a merchant basis, i.e. without stable remuneration. That holds true for us at Unipar, and we are very, very eager to hear from the government, from policymakers, more on the capacity mechanism, be it capacity market or similar scheme, um, which is very, very acutely required because in this German system, um, different forecasters give you different numbers, and BDI, the German Industry Association, put more than 40 gigawatt um, capacity required in Germany by 2030, take half of it, 20 gigawatt until 2030 is still a massive number. The good news is, though, that uh, BMWK are working on very, very concrete plan, um, and there is a Kraftwerk strategy, um, I think, being, um, being now developed, and we await very concrete measures. Maybe last point on that one is that we saw that in the past um, that such capacity mechanisms were introduced on a, so to say, individual power plant or individual location basis. And we as Uniper participated in the tender, won one project in Bavaria, successfully implemented it, and um, now it's up and running for system purposes in Bavaria. No, I think it, I mean, this is meant to be the, the easy bit, right? And actually we're talking about we need to make sure we get the auctions right and we need to make sure we have actually a predictable flow and, and uh, some incentives for clean, dispatchable and flexible generation assets. And I think, Kunal, you alluded to the flexibility challenge as well. So maybe I'll, I'll shift to the harder bit just to, you know, uh, keep, it, keep it going and talk a little bit about decarbonizing away from the electricity side and more into the molecule side, whether that's on the hydrogen um, or some of its derivatives. Piala, maybe I can come to you first, uh, just in terms of decarbonizing heating, decarbonizing uh, operational aspects, um, you know, signing a PPA, in theory, easy, not so easy. But actually now we're talking about decarbonizing also operational side of things. When you speak to industrial customers or real estate companies, like how, how difficult of a discussion is this? How long does it take? Just give us a sense of where, how those discussions happen. There are some companies which are driven by a net zero uh, mission and to them, as long as it's halfway economically viable, they will engage in a very meaningful conversation uh, and it goes maybe six months until you have the project on place and then up and running. I just went to our sales lead system uh, yesterday, as late as yesterday, and I saw a sales lead for four years. And so I went into and said, okay, what is it? What does it take? And that was a customer with high energy intensity, uh, unclarity about their location, 
of clarity about what type of fuel they would prefer. Do you do biomass or would you do something else? And then it takes much more time. So it's very difficult to, to give you a prediction uh, on, on how quickly it goes. The biggest challenge, though, I think, is in the end, is the euro value at the bottom. Because the reality is the industry needs to pick up a share for rebuilding a system or for, um, for paying for a different type of fuels. Or, so it's a cost-driven question, which in the global competitive environment is quite challenging to tackle. So I think what we try to do in our case is really to use to bridge several technologies, uh, to bridge uh, fuel to electricity, um, to really make sure we make use of all type of energies at any point in time, to really minimize uh, the, the financial impact. But I think that's most probably the biggest uh, discussion point there. Yeah, I think I think it's more tailored in the sense of what, what the. Depending on how much energy consumption you have and, and your sensitivity to price, I think, drives a lot of this discussion. Um, and maybe if I may add to that, mm. also what you have in your production process drive the discussion. We are we, we owner of, of uh, two chemical parks, three chemical parks by now. I stopped counting, but we're three <laughs> chemical parks, not that many. Um, we have ample uh, hydrogen or ammoniac on site. Or we have the, the possibility of using Amazon. So that's what we're looking right now to recycle certain waste products mm -hmm. on site. So, so there are also ways on doing uh, things differently. Maybe if I can try and um, go one level deeper and, and, and talk about uh, projects that have happened. That where you've put money to work, where you've taken FID decisions. And I think this is a really important point is that actually um, low cost of energy... Uh, what you can drive in terms of the solutions you can provide and then attracting industry. You know, the German decarbonization doesn't happen just in Germany. I think we have to recognize everything around us is influencing that. And, and clearly, you've already made the investment decisions that are kind of, uh, you know, supporting some of this. Maybe, Alexander, also to you, I know you've taken some FID decisions on some early projects. Can you give some flavor to the audience of, of um, what, you've, what those projects are? A couple of examples, indeed, from our own portfolio and also broader observations in the market. Um, I'm, I keep coming back to that difficult middle bit, i.e. clean dispatchable power. Um, some concrete examples that we um, implemented in the UK, more than 70 million uh, synchronous compensator project, which provides now... Um, inertia to the grid, uh, to national grid, um, and it, it is fully regulated um, on the six-year six uh, six contract with high single-digit IRR. Next example that I earlier referred to is a 300-megawatt OCGT in Bavaria, fully contracted to the TSO um, and features roughly similar returns. Um, so let's call it between 5 and 10% IRR, um, required by the transmission system operator for grid stability purposes. In June this year, now moving on to the green molecule side, we took a financial decision um, on a 30 megawatt electrolyzer capacity at um, Energiepark Bad Laufstedt. Um, let's 
say that the economics are a bit more modest. Um, it's non-regulated project, um, which requires what we discussed earlier, cooperation from multiple parties, from transmission system operator and gas side and power side, feedstock um, from renewable producer, etc., etc. And that is currently complex. And that's what I was going to say, that my observation is that returns in investments in hydrogen projects, in particular in electrolyzer projects, are currently, let's face it, somewhat challenging. Should it discourage us? No, I'm absolutely confident not. It shouldn't, because the fundamental demand is there. There is a plenty of hard to abate sectors where hydrogen is effectively the only option to decarbonize. And I firmly believe that over time, returns will then match expectations of investors.